0: Welcome to Redemption Church. You're listening to our weekly podcast. Thanks for tuning in. I have a favorite Bible verse. My favorite Bible verse is Romans chapter 5, verse 5, that suffering produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because of God's love, which has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. That's my favorite Bible verse, and you can tell that I'm Reformed because it has to do with suffering, but that's my favorite Bible verse. Now, what's your favorite Bible verse? Do you have a favorite one? Is it Philippians, you know, four thirteen? Is it you know Romans eight twenty eight, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven? Those tend to be some of the the more popular verses, and all Christians they basically have a favorite Bible verse. But did you know that non-Christians also have favorite Bible verses? Did you know that? I have a friend many, many years ago who was not a Christian. He had two Bible verses memorized. He he told me um, Genesis 127, that God gave every seed-bearing plant for you to enjoy. So he liked to smoke a lot of weed. And then then Matthew 7, 1, judge not unless you be judged. And so nobody could tell him he was wrong for all the weed that he smoked. That was his entire systematic theology. He had two verses down, and that's the way that he lived his life, might suggest to you that those are taken out of context, but those are his favorite Bible verses. And so a lot of the favorite Bible verses they tend to be a little bit out of context, that we don't really read them in the context of what the author was intending. And one very popular, very prominent verse, I think, that fits that bill is First Corinthians 13. Do you all know that one? Love is patient, love is kind. How many of you have ever gone to a wedding and, and you hear that? Like the officiant is, you know, speaking over the bride and the groom and says, love is patient, love is kind. It's the big wedding verse. It's the love chapter. Anybody know that one? My, my great-grandmother, she even had it in the bathroom. And so while you're in the bathroom, kind of, doing your business, it's the greatest of these is love. And you're like, okay, yeah. Um, who knows 1 Corinthians 13? Love is patient, love is kind. You're familiar with that. What if I were to tell you that that section of scripture, it's really not about marriage. What if I were to tell you that section of scripture, it's not about um, romance. It's not about friendship or, or fellowship. It's not about any of those things. That it's actually about something completely different. That everybody's favorite Bible verse is actually in response to their least favorite subject, the gifts of the Spirit. Don't believe me? Let's go ahead and read it, and, and we'll just see how 1 Corinthians 13 applies to the supernatural spiritual gifts through the Holy Spirit. Here's, here's what it says. If I speak in tongues. Oh, there we go. That's a spiritual gift. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, then I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers, that's another spiritual gift. And I understand all mysteries and knowledge and have all faith. And I can remove mountains, but I have not love, then I am nothing. If I give away all that I have and I deliver my body up to be burned... But have not loved, and I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Everybody's favorite. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoings, but it rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they're going to pass away. As for tongues... They're going to cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For now we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall be fully known, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three. But the greatest of these is love. So today... We are in week five of a seven week series as we've been looking at the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. We called it a second look at the third person of the Trinity. And we're, we're speaking to, to bring some clarity and to cast some vision towards the type of church that redemption dreams and longs to be. Namely, that we would be a church that worships in spirit and truth, that we would be a church that is hungry and desperate for the Word of God and desires for the works of God in our life, in our church through the Holy Spirit. And so when we started the series, we started in the Gospel of John because John gives us some of the richest, most theological instruction and teaching about who the Holy Spirit and Jesus is just teaching us about the person of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is our helper, that he is our comforter, that he is our advocate, and that God sends us the Holy Spirit to enable us and to empower us so that way we can live a life for Jesus. And the main goal of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus Jesus, and that the Spirit job is to point us to the truth of Jesus. And so, John starts off by saying, "Here's who the Holy Spirit is." And then we moved into Luke, and we did both Luke and Acts in one sermon. And that shows us what it means to be a Spirit-filled church that that we are filled with the Holy Spirit. So that means we're bold. That means we're passionate when it comes to sharing our faith and continuing the work and the mission of Jesus in the world because we're filled with the Holy Spirit. So we did John, and then we did Luke. And now we're in a four-week study through 1 Corinthians, which is Paul. And Paul is teaching what the role of the Holy Spirit plays in the life of a church. And so if you were here last week, we we started in chapter 12. And Paul's like, hey, here's all of the gifts. And he tells us, first thing that's most important, he says, Jesus is Lord. And if you want to understand the Spirit, you got to start with Jesus. If you want to understand the gifts, you got to start with Jesus. And Paul says, Jesus is Lord. Lord, that Jesus is God, the second member of the Trinity, that Jesus left heaven, entered into this world because we are sinners. We've fallen and been separated from God, and Jesus comes so that we can be rescued, so that way we can be ransomed, so that way we can be redeemed. And Jesus lived that perfect life. Jesus died the death in our place. Jesus goes to the grave, takes along with us all of our sins. He resurrects from the grave, leaves our sins there, gives us new life. Where he goes to the right hand of the Father gives us the Holy Spirit with grace, with hope, with mercy, redemption. The Holy Spirit enables us to overcome our sins, to overcome temptation, but he also gives us gifts so that way we can live for him. And so Paul says, Jesus is Lord. And one of the best ways you can learn to love and follow Jesus is by discovering what your spiritual gift is. So he starts by saying, Jesus is Lord, And then he quickly moves into the gifts. And so last week we looked at 12 and he's like, here's all these gifts. And these are the weird gifts. These are the miraculous gifts, the extraordinary gifts. These are the the sign gifts, okay? He talks about tongues and prophecy and words of knowledge, words of wisdom, the gift of healing and miracles, the gifts that make people feel eh, a little uncomfortable. It's the gifts that we tend not to talk about in the church. See, Paul doesn't mention the gift of helps, See, nobody has a problem with the gift of helps, right? Hey, I I got this couch. Could you come help, right? Yeah, actually, I could. I've been empowered by the Holy Spirit to move couches. That's my spiritual gift, right? Totally, right? Nobody, nobody has a problem. Everybody loves that guy, right? Hey, get the helps. Come on over, man, right? He doesn't mention, he doesn't mention hospitality. He he doesn't mention the gift of hospitality. He's not like, everybody loves that person. Hey, I, I made some muffins, Right, it's my spiritual gift. I love to make muffins, and so I made you some muffins. Would you like some? Nobody's like, get away from me with your demon muffins. No, everybody's like, no, totally. I would, ra- I would like one of those muffins. Please, thank you. And that's the gift of hospitality. And nobody has a problem with the gift of hospitality. But you start talking about tongues, tongues. that's going to cause a fight. You start talking about prophecy and the church and everybody loses their mind, right? You start talking about words of wisdom, words of knowledge. People get awkward. People get uncomfortable. And people, they, they, they just kind of, I don't really, that's too messy. I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to talk about that. We don't really need that. And so we tend to ignore that. And that would be totally okay for us if it wasn't for the Bible, Because the Bible tells us to eagerly desire the gifts. And so Paul starts by saying, okay, here's all of the gifts. And and these are the gifts that are available for you that come through the Holy Spirit. And then in chapter 14, he's going to tell us the guidelines for how we are to operate in the gifts. But in between this, here's what he gives us. He gives us the love chapter. Right? Why do you think this is here? Right? Why do you think he says, okay, here's all the sign gifts, and then you know, here's the way it looks in a church. Oh, yeah, but by the way, let's w- love. Right? Why do you think he did it? You think he got distracted? Do you think Paul's kind of writing it, and then somebody came and bothered, him? he's like, oh, man, I got to go take care of this. And then he comes back, and he's like, hey, what were you talking about again? Uh, I don't know. I'll just start talking about love for a bit. I'm sure somebody needs a good verse when they're getting married. So I'm just going to write that down. I don't believe that's actually what Paul's doing. I believe that Paul's really addressing a big problem. That um, the problem in the Corinthian church, which tends to be a problem in many churches, is that people wrongfully assumed that spiritual giftedness equaled spiritual maturity. That the people in the Corinthian church, they begin to misuse and abuse their gifts at the expense of other people. And they came in and they said, well, okay, you must have a spiritual gift. So that must mean that you're gifted, you're favored, you're you're desirable by God. God must love you. God must favor you more than all these other people because look at your spiritual gifts. And some churches, they'd still teach this. Some churches say, oh, you speak in tongues? Okay, you must be a better Christian than all these other people. Oh, you have the gift of healing? Okay, well, you must be really anointed by God. Oh, you have the gift of prophecy? Okay, you must hear from the Lord. And if anybody wants to hear from the Lord, we have to go find the prophet because he's the one who hears from the Lord. What church is the prophet at? I need to go find that guy so I can get a word from the Lord. And then they wrongfully elevated the gifted above the giver. And they mistook spiritual giftedness for spiritual maturity. But they're different. And so people were coming in and they were misusing and abusing their spiritual gifts at the expense of other people. They would come and they didn't want to give, they just wanted to take. They would come, they didn't want to contribute, they wanted to consume. They didn't want to serve, they wanted to be served because church for them was all about them. its about what they wanted and what they need and how they could showcase their giftedness and their talentedness. And so it was a concert and performance only for their own self-gratification and they begin to abuse and misuse the people in the church. It wasn't about Jesus. It wasn't about the church. It wasn't about the mission. It wasn't even about the Holy Spirit. It was all about themselves, and that's a problem. And Paul comes in, and he says, no, this is not the way a church works. That spiritual giftedness is not a sign of your spiritual maturity. And in fact, he says this. He says, if love does not govern the way that you use your gifts, they're worse than worthless. They're dangerous, and so he's actually rebuking the church in Corinth. Everybody's favorite chapter is actually a rebuke. So you think I'm funny cuz mine's over suffering, but most people is really actually rebuke. And this changes the way that we really understand what Paul is trying to communicate to this church, doesn't it? And so Paul, he says the most important thing when it comes to your gifts is love. If you don't have love, it doesn't count. The most important thing when learning to use your gifts is love. I was talking with a buddy of mine the other day as we were kind of, he's been helping me figure out some stuff for this series, and he told me a story about his father-in-law. Now, his father-in-law um, is a, a very gifted man, wonderful man, loves Jesus, loves the church, loves his family. I know his father-in-law because he was um, one of the elders of our church in New York. He's a, he's, he's a great guy. And his father-in-law, he operates in two gifts, um, teaching and prophecy. Now, normally, I would be very skeptical if somebody's like, says that, right? But I know this dude, and and I've heard him minister, and, you know, he's, he's, he's very accurate, and he has great theology, um, and he's a very humble, down-to-earth man. Just one of the most humble, down-to-earth men you'll meet in your life. And when he was talking to his father in law. He asked him, "How did you discover that you had these gifts, or how did you know, you know, what it looked like? What was the moment when you figured that out?" And he told him a story about when he was down in the Dominican Republic on a mission trip, and he was in the DR, and he was serving on this missions team, and they had a big gathering, and there was probably a couple of hundred people there, and so the pastor's on stage, and everybody's kind of there, and they're worshiping, and um, the pastor turns and looks to him and says, "You're going to preach." Now, me, I would have a panic attack, right? I mean, like, I don't know. I mean, I, like, oh, not, I, I can't do that, right? Um, and so he points to him, and he calls him on the stage to preach. And, and so he goes up there, and he's like, okay. So he begins to pray, and then he just begins to preach about Jesus, and then he begins to prophesy to the crowd. And since that day, he's had both those gifts of teaching and prophecy. And my best friend, he asked him, he said, well, you know, how do you think that happened? Like, what activated that for you? And his answer was simple, but it was profound. He said, because I love the people. Love is the key to unlocking your spiritual gifts. If we don't have love, it doesn't count. That's what Paul's telling us here. So Paul's going to tell us three things in regards to the gifts about love. He says that love, love is preeminent, that love is principles, and that love is permanent. So first thing he tells us is the preeminence of Love In verse 13, if I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I'm a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge and I have all faith as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have and um, I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, then I gain nothing. When me and Ashley first got married, I don't know really a better way to say this other than I was just a, a, a terrible husband. Okay, it's just the truth. The, the first few years of our marriage, whew, they were rough. I mean, we basically were just like roommates. We were the um, first of our friends who ever got, who got married. Um, we were 22 years old and new Christians, and I didn't have any older godly men speaking into my life, teaching me what it means to treat a woman like. And so the first year was, it was, it was rough. I mean, we would just kind of go work. We'd come home, right? stay up all night drinking and partying and hanging out with our friends, and occasionally I'd take her out on a date, but that was a really rough time, and I think what made it so bad was just simply how selfish I was. Okay, marriage, right? Marriage will show you how selfish you truly are. Because in my life, it was really about what I wanted. It's about what I wanted to do, what Ashley could do to serve me, what I wanted to do that night. It was really all about me, and it wasn't about the marriage. And it, it led to a lot of fights. And I, I remember one fight that we got into, and me and Ashley were talking about it over dinner this week. Um, and and she, was, she was really upset with me, and, and I didn't really know why. Guys, you ever been there? right? She's mad and you're like, I don't really know what I did. Um, But obviously I did something to cause this and bring this upon myself. And so I'm trying to figure out what did I do to make her so upset with me? Because she was visibly frustrated. And I tried to give her a kiss and she'd pull away. I tried to hold her hand and she gave me the dead fish. Can't you ever get that? The dead fish. It's like, I kind of want to hold your hand, but I don't really want to hold your hand. Not right now, right? And so I could tell that it's not going well. And so I, I asked her, I said, all right, babe, seriously, what's the deal? Like, why are you, why are you mad at me? And, and she's like, you should know. I'm like, okay, I don't have the gift of prophecy in this moment. Maybe I should know. Um, and I was like, okay, look, look, I was like, just, just, just tell me what did I do? And, and she said, she said, I don't feel like you love me. I was like, oh, really? What do you mean I don't love you? Look at all these things that I do for us, right? I, I pay the bills. Right? I, you know, I pay for the apartment, I pay for a car, right? I paid for chick-fil-A the other day. Look at all these things that I do for you. Of course I love you, right? Guys, just as a side note, wrong answer never say that in an argument. But that's what I want to do. I wanted to justify myself, and so I started saying, okay, here's the list of the things that I do, right? I did this, I did that, I did this, I did that. If it wasn't for me, we wouldn't have anything, and so what do you mean? I don't love you. And then she said, you never tell me I'm beautiful, and you never compliment me. I don't feel like you love me. I'm like, oh, that's important, right? I should do that. And so I was like, babe, you're beautiful, and I love you. You think that you think that fixed it, right? You would think that that would fix it, but it didn't. She said, "If I have to tell you, it doesn't count." Right? Okay, guys, I think I slept on the couch that night. But that's exactly what Paul's saying. If you can speak in tongues, but you don't have love, guess what? It doesn't count. You can speak in tongues and still be a jerk, right? You can be married and still be a bad husband. You can pay the bills, walk the dog, take out the trash, pay your taxes on time, and still not love your life, your wife very well. You can speak in tongues, and if you don't have love, it doesn't count because spiritual giftedness is not the same as your spiritual material maturity. In fact, Paul says something very profound right here. He says if you speak in tongues of men and angels but don't have love, you're a sounding gong or a clanging cymbal. You know what that is? That's annoying you're annoying. Nobody likes you. You can speak in tongues all day, but if you don't have love, you're annoying, right? There's a guy who's like, I speak in tongues, right? I like to do it at home. I like to do it in the shower, right? I want to do it at the, the community group. I want to do it at the Bible study. I want to do it at church. La, 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 la. Everybody come listen to me. Everybody come look at me. I'm speaking in tongues, and everybody's like, that guy is annoying, right? Because nobody likes him, because he doesn't have any love. That's what Paul's saying. If you don't have love, Doesn't count. He says, you can have all prophetic powers, right? I know the future. I know who's gonna win the Super Bowl tonight, right? You can have prophetic powers, but if you don't have love, jack squat. Okay, that's what it says in the Greek. Jack, squat. It doesn't doesn't count. You can can give all of your money away. I tithe, I double tithe, right? I've given it all away. And in the end, it doesn't count. You can have all the faith. You can say to the Sabine River, to the Edison Plaza, jump into the Sabine River, and it does it. And when you get to heaven, God's going to be like, meh, because it didn't count. You can have perfect doctrine and systematic theologies, Wayne Grudem's, John Frames, completely memorized. You know all mysteries and understand all knowledge, but nobody's gonna listen to you because nobody likes you because you don't have any love. And so it doesn't count. And this is what Paul's telling this church. It's like, you have all the gifts, but you don't have any love. And so it doesn't, it doesn't count because love, love is preeminent. That's right. Love is, is most important. Now, what do you think if Paul were to flip the script? What do you think if Paul were to say, I speak in tongues and I'm filled with love? Would it be a sound or would it be a song? Would he say, yeah, I speak in tongues and I'm, I'm filled with love and it's a beautiful melody of the heart. It's a sweet song for my soul. It encourages me and it builds me up so that way I can Serve God and love others better. I speak in tongues and I'm filled with love. I think that's what Paul would say. Because love is preeminent. And he's telling them, you got the gifts, but you're missing what's most important. You don't have any love. And so he starts by saying, love is important, it's preeminent. And then he goes and he tells us what love looks like what is love? What does love look like? What does love do? What does love, what does love mean? And so he tells us what this means, and here's, here's what he says, that love is the principle, right? Love is patience. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant. It's not rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoings, but it rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, love endures all things. What I love so much about this section of scripture is that it proves that love is not just a feeling, but love's actually a decision. That love is not just a feeling, but love is actually a decision. One of the the most confusing words I believe in the English language is the word love. That we say we love everything and the word has almost lost all meaning because we love everything, like I love you, I love Jesus, I love the church, right, I love Ashley, I love Esther, I love tacos, right, I love lots of things, but they're not, they're not the same thing, and we say we love everything, and the word has almost lost all of its meaning, and we live in a day and age to where love is entirely self-love, it's self-centered, it's, you know, self, you know, It's about the individual. It's about the self. And and so we live in that day to where everything's about you. Everything's about me. What you can do for me, how you can please me, how you can serve me, how you can make me happy, my life, my wants, my needs, my preferences, my proclivities. It's all about me, 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 me. What can you do for me? And I want to be loved, and I want to feel loved, and I want people to love me. And why doesn't anybody love me? And we get so focused on love. And we talk about it, but nobody actually feels it. And we get so consumed with love, but nobody actually feels loved. And see, the world will say, if you want to be loved, then you need to go in. The Bible says, don't go in, you need to go out. That love is not about you, but love comes from Jesus. That love's not from people or places or things, but love comes from the Lord Jesus and what he does in you, he wants to do through you. So don't go in, go out. That love is what you do, it's not just what you say. And so Paul, he's teaching the church what it looks like to love. And so I'm going to say something that's going to be a little controversial, and some of you may disagree with me, and probably nothing new, but... um, I believe that Jesus possessed the fullness of the spiritual gifts. And so how did Jesus live his life? It was under the power of the Holy Spirit. How did Jesus preach with passion and teach with authority? How did Jesus heal and, you know, cast out demons and raise the dead and give sight to the blind? How did Jesus do signs, wonders, and miracles? He did it all by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus didn't do anything in his life apart from love. And so if you want to understand what does it mean to love, then you need to look to Jesus and if you want to understand what does it mean to grow in my gifts, well, then you need to look to Jesus because Jesus is the perfect example of what the gifts and what love actually looks like in our lives. And so Paul, he's teaching about love and he's going to give us eight principles about what love is. And the first he says is that love is patient. Okay, has Jesus been patient with you? Yes, yes. Now, I've been a Christian for 12 years. Sometimes I think Jesus is up in heaven going, "I saved that guy a long time ago. I figured we'd be a little bit further down the road by now." Byron is stubborn. Luckily, I gave him a great wife because if not for her, right, we would be we would be lost. And I think Jesus probably feels that way. But he's not mad at me. He's not angry at me. He's not upset with me when I make a mistake or when I fail or, or when I you know have shortcomings. He, he's not angry and mad at me. He's Rather, he's patient with me, that he's walking with me step by step, day by day, as we journey together in my relationship with him. He's not angry. He's patient. Has God been patient towards you? Okay, right? God has been very patient towards you. Yes. It took a long time for you to raise your hand, so very patient in that response. So God's been patient towards you, so we should be patient towards others. In the same way he's been patient with you, he expects you to be patient with others. Now, listen to me. I know that all of this is new for a lot of people. Especially trying to discover and grow and cultivate in spiritual gifts is probably very new. And because it's new, we need to be patient with one another. Some of you, you're going to step out and risk in faith. To discover what one of your spiritual gifts is and you're going to want to pray for somebody and that person, you need to allow them to pray for you and not to criticize and don't complain in that because it's going to take a while for us to figure this out and we need to do it together and so we need to be patient with one another. Nobody just becomes an expert in their gifts in a day. It takes time, right? One of my spiritual gifts is teaching. That's one out of Romans chapter 12, um, teaching as a, a spiritual gift. I love to teach. I love to take take the Bible and exegete a passage and make little nice bullet points for you guys, and I love to stand up here on the stage, and I love to talk about Jesus, and I love to preach. It's one of my favorite things to do in the entire world, and I love to preach, but you should have heard my first sermons. They were bad. I mean, they were terrible, and some of you are like, we're terrible. We're like 25 minutes into this one, and I don't know where, okay, they were terrible, but they... I praise God for a small church in Houston that let me preach twice a year so I could grow in that gift. Because they gave me the opportunity to grow in the gift, and they were patient with me. There was a woman in the church named Miss Rachel. She's like hundred years old. That is not an exaggeration. She is actually hundred and one years old now. So, um, and when I would preach there, y'all thought I, you thought that I was loud here, okay, there, woo, right? I mean, I'm on my tippy toes, right? hands in the air, yelling, red-faced, talking about Jesus at the top of my lungs, right? And there's like seven people in the room. It was definitely overkill. And I would preach, and at the end of the sermon, Miss Rachel, she would come up to me, and she'd put her hand on my shoulder, and she would say, that was something. (laughs) I don't know if that was a compliment or not, but I received it. But she didn't criticize me, and she didn't complain to me. She allowed me the opportunity by her patience to discover what my spiritual gift was. When we're learning and growing and cultivating these gifts, we need to be patient with one another. And so some of you, you're going to step out and you're going to pray. That's a great sign of faith. It might work. It might not work. Don't feel like you failed. But we need to be patient. And those of you who are gifted, don't mistake that for maturity because you have a long way to go as well. We need to be patient with one another as a church because Jesus is patient to us. Next he says that love is kind. Is God kind? Yeah, of course God's kind, right? I mean, he gave you life. He didn't have to do that, right? You could you could not be a Christian. You could go to hell. I mean, all those things are possibilities. I mean, he didn't have to save you, but he wanted to save you. He wanted to give you the grace and mercy and hope and the redemption that is available from him through Jesus. He didn't have to, but he... Wanted to because God is kind, and so when it comes to our gifts in our church, we need to be kind to one another because we've received kindness from God. Next, he says, "Love is not envious." Do you think Jesus is jealous over certain people? You think Jesus up in heaven going, "Wait, wait!" You know, Tim, he's got tongues, and Josh, he's got faith. What happened? Right? I wanted him to have this one and them to have that. I can't, can't have one Christian over here and the other. I can't. Ghost. Hey, where are you at, ghost? Come over here. We need to have a little meeting. You know, father, son, go. Who did this? I can't believe. Do you think Jesus is jealous that one person has one gift and another person has another? You think Jesus is mad over this? No, he gave the gifts. He wants his kids to use the gifts. He's not jealous of gifts. See, Paul says last week, Are all apostles? Well, the answer is no. Are all prophets? Well, again, he says the answer is no. Are all healers and workers of miracles? Do all speak in tongues? Well, no. I mean, some can, some will, but, but not everybody operates in each individual gift. But God gives certain gifts to certain people, and he's given certain gifts to other people. And he's giving those gifts. He wants to use those gifts. And when we all work together, God is glorified and people are blessed. There's no reason for you to be envious of other people's gifts. Now, if you desire a gift, then ask God. Maybe he'll give you that gift, but don't be jealous over other people's giftings. If somebody gets to lead a community group, praise God for them, right? Don't criticize. Don't don't become envious over another person. If somebody gets to preach a sermon on Sunday, right, praise God for them. If somebody gets to pray for them or if somebody gets to have a word for another person, don't Be jealous of other people's gifts. Instead, realize that God's given me gifts, he's given them gifts, and he's given us all a church. And when we work together in that church, then we become the fullness of the body of Christ. Don't be jealous over other people's giftings. Next, he says, love is not envious. And then he says, love is not arrogance. If you have a gift, there's no reason for you to brag. You can't brag over your gift because you didn't do anything. To be able to get it. That's the definition of a gift. You didn't earn it, right? You received it. And so, as Christians, we can't brag about our giftings. So don't be arrogant when it comes to your gifts. Don't go around and be like, I'm a prophet, right? Don't go around and be like, I'm a healer. Don't go around and be like, oh, you know, this is the thing. I'm a miracle worker. Like, don't, don't do that. Don't be arrogant in regards to your giftings. Instead, we need to be extremely humble when it comes to our our, our giftings right and so what this looks like is if you you know have a word from the lord and you you believe that god's given you a word of wisdom knowledge or prophecy like don't ever say thus saith the lord right you're not old testament prophet you're not isaiah you're not ezekiel you don't get to say thus saith the lord that's closed okay so you can't say god told me what it looks like instead is hey i've been praying for you and when i saw you the lord just put something in my heart i feel impressed by the Spirit to share this with you. We'll pray together, but can I, just, can I just let you know, right? Extreme humility when it comes to our giftings. If you want to pray for somebody, don't be like, I'm a healer. Okay, because people don't heal people. God heals people. Okay, it's his responsibility to heal. It's our responsibility to pray. So don't just be like, I'm a healer. Okay, don't do that. But you say something like this. Hey, I love to pray for people who are hurting, who are sick. And when I do, sometimes God heals them. Is it okay if I pray for you? It's extreme humility. When we come to our gifts, we can't be arrogant, but we need to be humble. And that's what the church looks like. And then he says this. He says, love is not arrogant. And then he says, love is not rude. Another way to say this is love is not inconsiderate. Okay, Don't be inconsiderate when it comes to your gifts. If you go up to somebody, like, I have to pray for you. I want to pray for you. I must pray for you. I'm gonna need to pray for you. And the person's like, no. Guess what? The answer's no. Okay, you can be like, no, I got a gift and I'm gonna pray for you. No, like you can pray at home and God can hear your prayer there. But here, okay, if they say no, the answer's no. Don't be inconsiderate of other people. Listen, we have dozens of um, people who visit redemption every single week for the first time, and church is already awkward enough. We don't need you adding to the awkwardness of it all. Okay, if somebody's like, please don't, don't. Don't be pushy. Don't be inconsiderate. Don't be rude of other people. You need to take into account that there are other people in the room and we need to realize that we're here to serve and we're not here to demand our own way. Another way that it says it is love defers. And so, yeah, you, you might, you know, have the ability, but that doesn't necessarily mean you have the right. Love defers. In the book of Hebrews, it says that we need to submit under the church elders so when they give watch for us over our souls, it's a blessing and it's not a burden. When you are inconsiderate of others, when you're pushy, when you're rude, or when you're arrogant, especially in regards to the gifts, you make my job so difficult. <laughs> okay? But we want this to be a church to where, to where people are growing, people are learning, but we want to make it a safe place for people to do so. And so love is not... Rude. Love is not irritable. Hey, this is a person who's always teetering between chaos and conflict. Okay, you know, just that one little bump, just the smallest thing, boom, sets them off. Right, and they fly off into a a fit of rage. Right, they fly off the handle and they get really upset, and everything's the biggest deal in the world, and they're angry. Right, you know that guy. And, And normally they come up with very religious reasons as to why they are the way that they are. But if your religion's making you angry, you need to check your religion. Because the last time I checked, Jesus wasn't up in heaven angry. It's not like Jesus is up in heaven going, if they mess up one more time, I'm going, I'm going Old Testament on them. Frogs, plagues, locusts, right? Fire from heaven, smites. That's what I'm doing. He doesn't do that. Jesus ain't up in heaven waiting to smite you for the littlest inconvenience. Hey, Jesus is slow to anger. The wrath of God has been satisfied on the cross, It's been poured out on Jesus and so there's none more left for you. So Jesus is not irritable towards us and so we don't need to be angry towards the person sitting next to you because, listen, if you're always looking for a reason to be mad, you're always going to find one. But if you're looking to be like Jesus and to grow in your gifts, then we need to love because love is patient, love is kind. Love is not irritable. And then he says love is not resentful. Another translation that some of y'all might have, it says this, that love keeps no record of wrong. I really love that translation because when we think about Jesus, does he keep records of wrong? When Jesus goes to the cross, he dies in your place for your sins that he received the penalty of your sins, goes to the grave, resurrects, gives you grace, mercy, hope, salvation, and then he restores and he reconciles you to the Father so that when you stand before him, you are the righteousness of Christ. And when God sees you, he doesn't see your sin. He sees his son. God keeps no record of wrong. Your past, your present, your future, forgiven. You know who keeps records of wrong? Satan. Resentment is demonic. Unforgiveness, bitterness, resentment destroys you. See, the other person, they're unaffected by your unforgiveness, but you, it kills you. I've seen it over and over again. Very gifted, very talented men and women come into the church or, or, or they meet Jesus or they even get into ministry And then bitterness takes them out. Unforgiveness. Resentment. It prevents you from being who God's made you to be. If you're holding on to that, if you're unwilling to let those things go, then you're not going to experience the life that God has for you. And I wish I could go into all of it today, and, and we could we could talk about this, but we definitely don't have enough time to unpack this subject. But Paul hits a very deep nerve here. That so many people walk around carrying unforgiveness, and bitterness, and resentment, and we're not able to become the people God's creators to be. If somebody sinned against you, please forgive them. And you say, But you don't know what they did. You don't know how they hurt me. I don't know. But God does. And ultimately, every sin is really a sin against him. And so let him handle it. They need justice. Well, okay. Well, last I checked, he handles justice. So if justice is to be paid, he'll take care of that. But you need to give it to him. Because you cannot experience what God has for you. You will not grow and operate and work in your giftings. And you will not be able to be the church like God has Called you to be if you're resentful of other people. That's a deep nerve, right? Anybody else convicted right now? Okay, good, good. So let's just move on. Love, right? Love is truthful, okay? Love is truthful. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. So truth is a way to life. We don't rejoice in wrongdoing, we don't celebrate over sin. Right, we don't we, we don't laugh when other people make mistakes, right? We don't get glad at other people's shortcomings, but we always look for opportunities to speak the truth in love so that way people can become who God has created them to be. Love is truthful. And here's what Paul's saying: he's saying, love is the way for us to grow in our gifts. It needs love. If you don't have love, it says you don't have anything. And so if, you're, if you want to be a leader and you don't love the people you lead, guess what? You're not a good leader. Right? If you want to be a teacher and you don't love the people you're teaching, guess what? You're not a good teacher. If you want to pray for somebody for healing and you don't actually love that person, you're not going to be a good healer. If you have a word of prophecy and you want to prophesy into someone, and you say, I don't love them. Well, you're not going to be a good prophet. If you don't have love, it doesn't count. Spiritual giftedness is not the same as spiritual maturity. And this is one of the things that just frustrates me about the American church. In the American church, we become so enamored with the cult of celebrity that we've sacrificed spiritual maturity. That people will come into the church and we look to other people to do what God has called us to do and we we, we have our favorite worship albums, we have our favorite pastors and our favorite podcasts and we think, oh, well, these are the people and these are the celebrities and in our own life we don't grow because we refuse to do the work that God has called us to do. We become I'm so enamored with celebrity. We've sacrificed spiritual maturity that some people will come into the church and they're gifted and they're talented and they're wonderful and they can play the guitar and they can sing and they have a nice smile and they're mildly attractive and the church will put them on the stage and they'll say, oh, here's the person that's gonna help grow our church. We're gonna put them up here and, and, and we're gonna put them in a place of ministry. They don't have the maturity to sustain and it's ruined churches, over and over and over and over again because we don't have the maturity to continue the ministry. I've seen it in our church. I've seen people come into the church and, you know, they're, they're gifted and they have a little charisma and, you know, people tend to like them and so they, they gravitate towards them and, you know, they do well for a while and they, you know, join a community group and then they kind of lead a community group and maybe they're, you know, on praying for people or maybe they you know, join the band or they lead in an area and the moment that they don't get their way, the moment that something you know, goes wrong, the moment that they have interpersonal conflict and they can't really bring any resolution or there's some secret sin that's exposed and then they refuse to repent and they refuse to be humble in that, they're gone. Why? Because they had the maturity, they had the giftedness, but they did not have the maturity. See, listen, the church is not lacking in gifts, Okay, the Corinthian church, they were not lacking in gifts. They had all of the gifts. They had an abundance of gifts. They had an overflow of the gifts. The Corinthian church, they were not lacking in the gifts. Paul says, you were lacking in love. The church is not lacking in giftedness. The church is lacking in love. For Redemption Church, I would rather have a church filled with marginally talented and gifted people who are hungry and desperate for the word of God, who love Jesus, who love their church, than have an all-star staff of people who don't love, don't give, don't serve, don't care, and it's all about them, and it's all about their life, and it's all about their platform, and it's all about their ministry, and it's not about Jesus. The church doesn't need more celebrities. The church doesn't need more all-stars. The church needs love this is what Paul is addressing to the Corinthian church he says you have the gifts but you don't have love that love is preeminent and love is the principles and then lastly he's going to tell us that love is permanent here's how he says in 8 love never ends when Jesus said he loved you he means it When Jesus died on that cross for your sins, he meant it. When Jesus saves you, he meant it. He's not going to give up on you. He's not going to walk out on you. He's not going to turn his back on you. He's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. Jesus' love never ends. If he loved you then, he will love you now. He will love you then. Love never ends. But prophecies will. Prophecies will pass away. As for tongues, they're going to cease. As for knowledge, it's going to pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in parts, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. He's calling the Corinthian church childish. Do you see that? Amen. The way that they live, run and operate their church, he says it's childish. It's all about them and it's not about others. He starts by saying that it's worthless and now he's telling him it's actually childish because they're selfish when it comes to their giftings. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now in parts, now I know in part, but then I shall be fully known even as I've been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. But the greatest of these is love. Now, some people, they're going to read this section of Scripture, and they're just like, well, there it is, Byron. There it is, right? They're ceasing, right? They're gone. Right? We don't need the gifts. The gifts are done. The gifts are over. right? That was maybe for a season. But, but, and they were maybe for signs for the early Christians. But we don't need the gifts anymore because the gifts have ceased. And they'll focus on these three little things. They'll say, okay, for prophecies, they're going to pass away. Right there, that's proof. Prophecies pass away. And then they'll focus on this one. They say for the tongues, they'll cease. And then for knowledge, it will pass away. And so we have it right here in the Bible. It's, they're gone. We don't need the gifts anymore. They're not necessary. And the church doesn't really have them. So some of us, we were raised in this type of tradition. Okay, This is called cessationism. And many of us were raised in this type of tradition. And I have good friends that hold to this position. I have a pastor here in town who I meet with on a regular basis, and um, he holds to to this position. Um, I, I love him, but I just disagree with him. I believe that the gifts are still in operation. Um, and that's kind of the way that we teach. I was talking with a lady in our church last week um, who might come from this kind of tradition. And she told me, she said, yeah, I've heard all of this before. You know, here's all the gifts and here's what they look like. And, you know, here's, here's these, but we don't really talk about those. We get to kind of pick and choose what gifts we like, but we don't want those gifts. We don't talk about those gifts because, well, now we have the Bible. And so we don't really need those gifts. Okay, we closed last week, kind of similar, but very different. We said, this is a Bible. We love the Bible. We believe the Bible, that the Bible is the all-sufficient, satisfying, living, active word of God. This book is the final rule and authority in the life of a believer. This book tells us who God is and how we live. Redemption Church is a church by the book, we love the book. We preach the book. We teach the book. We study the book. We, we verse by verse through the book. Right, we're fixing to start the book of Mark. It's going to take us fifty-six weeks to knock the thing out. We love the Bible and the same Bible we love and we believe is the same Bible that says to eagerly desire the gifts. And so, if we want to obey the scriptures, then we need to desire the gifts and They'll, they'll read this and they'll say, well, okay, well, here's what it says. That prophecies will pass away when, it says, the perfect comes. And so that's kind of where they get hung up on, the, the perfect. Okay, there it is, right? when the perfect comes. Okay, so what does Paul mean by the perfect? Okay, great question. Glad you asked. I'll give you three options in very brief. Um, first, some people say that the perfect is in regards to the maturity of the church. When the church matures and be perfect. Now, let me ask you a question How many of you have ever been to a mature and perfect church? Anybody? You think after you know, the last 2,000 years, we finally got this nailed down, but nobody's ever been to a perfect or mature church. How many of you ever walked into church? You're like, this church, they believe everything that I believe. They sing all of my favorite songs. There's no sin. There's no problem. There's no hypocrites, right? Everything's, everything's perfect in this church. The coffee's nice and hot. I always get the same seat every Sunday. I park in the same spot. Nobody ever has any problems. This church is perfect. No? No? Okay, let me tell you, if you find that church, you need to run for two reasons. One, it's a cult, and they're fixing to give you some Kool-Aid. You don't want that. Or two, you'll ruin it. (laughs) Because you're not perfect, and wherever you're at, you're going to mess it up. And so nobody's perfect, and wherever you're at, it's not perfect. Okay, so until the church is perfect, or until you leave, the gifts are still here. So The maturity of the church, I don't think that's what he's talking about. Second, some people say the completion of the Bible. When the Bible is finished, when the last apostle died and he put the period on the last book of the Bible and the book was closed, well then the gifts left. That we have the Bible now and so we don't need the spirits. Okay, now I love the Bible. I believe the Bible is perfect. I hold to the doctrine of inerrancy, that every word in here is inspired and it is inerrant but I don't believe that this is what Paul is talking about when he says the perfect. Yeah, I love the Bible. I've read this book. I've read this book, you know, front to back. I got notes and highlighters and scribbles and tear stains on the pages. Like I've read this book, but I still wouldn't be able to say I've seen him face to face like Paul says. That I am known, but I'm not fully known and I've never been made perfect. And so while I love the Bible, I, I just don't think that this is actually what Paul's speaking of. For the ceasing of the gifts. So there's a third option, and this is where we land the second coming of Jesus. That when Jesus returns, okay, everything will be made perfect, that Jesus is the perfect. That when Jesus comes back, that all sin and hell and death and Satan will be destroyed. That pain, right? That that tears, that worry will be wiped away from our eyes. When we see Jesus face to face, things will be made perfect. That He will recreate heaven and earth. He'll give us a new body with a new earth, and we will be made whole, like God always intended. That will be redeemed, renewed, restored, and everything will be made perfect when. Jesus Jesus comes back, that's when the gifts will cease. And that's what we believe. But until that day, the gifts are still in operation. Now, here's the truth. One day, the gifts will cease. Okay, one day, you're not going to have these gifts. You know when you're not going to need prophecy? When you're in heaven, right? A word from the Lord. If you need a word from the Lord, you can just go talk to him because he's right there, right? That's a super simple shortcut, isn't it? Right? Oh, you need tongues, you know when you're not going to need an unknown prayer language? When you know Jesus face-to-face and you can just talk to him. You know when you're not going to need healing? Okay, when everybody gets their resurrected bodies in heaven and everybody's healed, there will be no gift of healing. Knowledge? You're not going to need the gift of knowledge in heaven because you're going to be fully known. And on that day, well then, yeah, the gifts will cease. But until that day, we still need to grow and operate and cultivate in our spiritual giftings because that day hasn't come. But until that day, we need to keep growing. See, one day you're not going to have these gifts, which means it's important for you to steward them wisely now. One day you're not going to have the gifts. The gifts will not be in heaven. You're not going to have the gifts. You're not going to possess the gifts. You're not going to operate in the gifts. And so you only got this short life to be able to steward them well. The way we use our gift is very important. And Paul says, look, you got all the gifts, but you're missing the point. The point is love. The point is love, and if we don't use them, if we don't steward them, if we're not wise when it comes to the gifts, then we're going to miss the point, point. and if we miss this, then we miss everything, because if you don't have love, you don't have anything. The church should not be known for its gifts, though. Yeah, we desire the gifts, we want the gifts, we love the gifts, but the church should not be known by the gifts. Like, if Redemption Church, if people start saying, oh, Redemption Church, that's the tongue church, Right? first terrible marketing. But if they're like, that's the tongue church, like I'm going to lose my mind, right? If people are like, oh, that's the prophecy church. That's the, that's the miracle church. That's the, you know, that's redemption. I've heard about that church, right? I, you don't have to worry about resigning your membership. I will resign my membership if that's our reputation in the city. Because the church should not be known by its gifts. Jesus doesn't say, okay, you're going to know they're my disciples because everybody's going to be running around in circles with praise banners and tambourines speaking in tongues and shouting at the top of their lungs. That's that's how you're gonna know because of the big building and because of the you know awesome band and kids ministry and because the big parking lot and the traveling ministry, that's how you're gonna know that this is my church. Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus says, How will you know they're my disciples by their love? Amen. Love is what it means to walk in the gifts. See, if you have the gifts without love, you have nothing. But if you pursue love, You'll get the gifts. Love is preeminent. Love is the principles. And love always lasts. Love is permanent. So when it comes to casting vision for our church, what kind of church are we going to be? What does redemption look like in the future? Redemption will be a church of love. Do we desire the gifts? Yes. Do we want to see the gifts? Yes. Do we want to grow in the gifts? Yes, but never at the expense of people. And never at the expense of love. So here's what I want to do. Everybody's favorite verse. I want to read it. And I want to put our name in these descriptions. Because this is the type of church that redemption will be. Redemption will be patient. We're going to be patient with one another because God has been patient towards us. Redemption Church will be, Redemption Church is kind. That we're a safe place for people to experience the kindness of God that leads to repentance. Redemption Church is not envious and jealous of others, but we celebrate because we know when we all work together, God is glorified and people are blessed. Redemption Church is not arrogant, that we don't run around bragging or demanding our own way, but we love to serve because we're humble. Redemption Church is not rude, but rather we serve. We defer. We don't demand our rights, but we love by being considerate. Redemption Church is not irritable We're not angry, filled with joy because joy comes from the Lord. Redemption Church is not resentful. We're a church that forgives and a church where people can find forgiveness. And Redemption Church is truthful that we speak the truth of this book, of the glory of God. We preach about Jesus. We love the truth. And we're a church where we worship in spirit and truth. Redemption Church is love. Redemption Church bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things for the glory of God and for the good of others. This is the church we want to be. And we want to give you an opportunity to be a part of that. Some of you, you've never been a part of a church that loves like this. I want you to know, welcome home. We love you. And we want you to be a part of what God is doing in this city. Some of you have never experienced the love that only comes from Jesus. I would like for you to experience that love. Give your life to Jesus today. In Romans 5, it says, God's love has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. He's brought you here for this reason, so you can experience love, because love never ends. Redemption Church meets every Sunday morning on Crockett Street at the gig. If you would like to know more, you can find us online at www.redemptiontx.com or join us for one of our two services at 930 or 1115 a.m. Sunday mornings in downtown Beaumont. Kids are welcome too. We are Redemption and we would love to meet you.